Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Snapchat isn't about capturing the traditional Kodak moment. It's about communicating with the full range of human emotion, not just what appears to be pretty or perfect. Those are the first words on the Snapchat blog written by Evan Spiegel, Snapchat CEO and co-founder. And that was back in 2012 when Snapchat only worked on iOS devices and users could only send photos. Now, it seems like Snapchat has been around for longer than five years, but even in that short time, Snapchat has impacted social media significantly and the popularity of ephemeral or disappearing content has grown significantly. And even bigger players like Facebook and Instagram have also moved into the space. Now, recently I read an article titled, Here's How Snapchat Can Be Part of Your Sponsorship Inventory. And I thought to myself, in the context of everything else going on, do sponsorship managers on both sides really need to try and wrangle another digital channel in their inventory? And to help answer that question, I invited the author of that article, marketing and advertising consultant at Direct Contact Marketing, Carson McKee, on the show to explore Snapchat and how it is relevant and how we can make best use of it in sponsorship. Welcome to episode 48 of Inside Sponsorship. I'm your host, Daniel Loyston, and it's great to have you tuning into the show. Before we hear from Carson, though, we have a few shout-outs to get through. The first is to Steve Morton, Head of Corporate at Wolverhampton Wanderers, who sit top of the English Football Championship at the time of recording. Now, Steve sent me an email just to let me know, just catching up and tuned into episode 43 whilst in the car, certainly kept my attention Great listen. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Steve. Great to hear from you. Glad you loved that episode, episode 43, where we had Spencer Nolan from Nielsen Sports on the show to discuss changing attention spans, prompting rights holders to rethink. Also getting in touch was Nick Takos, who is an MBA lecturer in sport management at Torrens University, Australia, part of Laureate University in Brazil. Nick is also a director on the Past Players and Officials Board at the Adelaide Crows. And Nick sent me a message on LinkedIn to say, Hey Daniel, keep up the good work. I'm about to do some work with Team Sky during their Australian block. Enjoying the insights. Nothing else is good in Australia. Thanks, mate. No, thank you, Nick. Glad you find the show useful. Thanks for getting in touch. And I'm sure the upcoming work with such a world-class outfit as Team Sky will no doubt be a highlight of the summer for you. Finally, a shout-out to Tim Garrett, who I think has only recently started listening to the show because he sent me a message giving me uh, the thumbs-up for the show. And in his message, Tim also mentioned, I'm one of the fittest persons on the planet and strongest endurance athletes in the world. I've just finished the hardest endurance race in the world and only the second person to actually complete it. So... I was like, wow, that sounds interesting, and it piqued my interest. It sounded pretty impressive. So I plugged his name into Google, and we just last month, as Tim mentioned, he became the second person to complete the world's most challenging endurance race. And I think it's important to go through this just so that you can understand the magnitude. What does it look like? Well, it's called Uberman 1, and it's an endurance race comprising a night swim start from Catalina Island off the coast of California. It's a 21-mile swim, or 33.8 kilometres, and it's considered to be one of the seven most difficult ocean swims in the world. And then Tim got on his bike, and he rode 400 miles, or 644 kilometres, from Palos Verde through the mountains and the canyons and desert in hot, arid conditions, and also against 30-mile-per-hour headwind gusts 
to bad water in Death Valley. Sounds lovely. 200 feet below sea level. And if that wasn't enough, the final component was a 135 mile or 217 kilometer run through the desert to Mount Whitney Portal. Now, Tim, it doesn't really seem apt to call that impressive. It doesn't seem a strong enough word. But I'm really sure what to say about all that. It is simply stunning. And, and thanks for getting in touch and letting us know that you're enjoying the show. Now, normally in this part of the show, we'd hear from Mark or Sam and chat about one of their recent blogs, but the world has conspired against us and we couldn't make that happen for this episode. But never fear, we'll have either Sam or Mark back on the next episode and in the full swing of things again. As I mentioned earlier, I invited the author of Here's How Snapchat Can Be Part of Your Sponsorship Inventory on the show, and that's marketing and advertising consultant at Direct Contact Marketing, Carson McKee. Now, Carson has over 12 years of international brand experience with Ford, NFL, Denny's, NHL teams, Circle K Agency, freelance and independent consultant roles. And he has also experience with small startup and local brands as well. And his LinkedIn profile says that he is an outside-the-box thinker with demonstrated, cliche-worthy, provide-value capabilities. Here's Carson. Carson McKee, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. We always kick off with a few easy icebreaker questions just to ease you into the process and also you know, a little bit of fun, get the audience to uh, get to know you a little bit better. If you could be anyone else in the world for a day, who would you be and why? Anyone else in the world for one day. I'm not sure that there's a specific person that I would choose to be, but I'll tell you this. If I could be anybody else for a day, I'd be a woman. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because um, there's a whole other side of human existence that uh, is outside of my you know, human experience. And so I, I think it'd be really interesting to experience what life would be like um, having you know, different organs and you know, experiencing what it's like to be a human woman. So I'm not sure I would pick anyone in particular, um, but uh, but. I guess that's the way I would roll with that. Yeah, very interesting answer. I think it would give you some pretty interesting perspective. Second icebreaker question is, what was your first ever job? My first ever paid job um, that wasn't like being hired by my dad to wash windows at his business or something was um, working in fast food at Arby's, Arby's restaurant. I was a, I was a beef slinger. Now, you've progressed from there, obviously. You're a career marketer, if ever I've seen one. Can you give us a bit of a potted history of your roles with a focus on those that you've helped around sponsorship? Sure. So um, I had a background in uh, sales training um, and uh, some related marketing experience early on. And when I was setting out on my own, I gravitated at this time, you know, this is going to be mid, mid 2000s, 2005 onward, gravitated to using social to help push my own business, my own efforts on. Um, I used it rather early and uh, caught on rather quick. And that was one of the first opportunities that got me introduced to sports teams. I'd be working with clients in the uh, National Hockey League. Some of these clients had larger interaction on Facebook and larger stats on their social uh, than they were getting on their own previously monetized website. So I was able to uh, you know, work with those teams, go in and consulting um, and, and help them build out what that looked like, not just from a, a marketing standpoint, but also, you know, organizing those things in, in terms of inventory. Like what does a sponsorship 
package look like on Facebook and how do we deal with issues of scale and what sort of things could we do in contests and all that other kind of stuff that, that corporate partners really liked and loved the idea with and sales teams struggled to sell and really conceptualize what they had. It's one thing if, you know, in the hockey world, at least if you have dashboard advertising, traditional, you know, uh, inventory where I've got like, you know, 12 of these that's pretty basic and easy to sell, but you know, Facebook is, is so scalable. And certainly in those days, it was really new territory. So it was really kind of building those and doing the training on the ground with teams to help build those assets it up, um, you know, attach values to them and then coach on the sales process directly with their, their partners. So that's, that's really how it started. A real focus on social and probably digital as well. They're fairly hard to separate. I came across your article mm-hmm here's how Snapchat can be part of your sponsorship inventory. And it really piqued my interest and I thought it would be great that and something that our listeners would love to hear about. And, of course, we'll put some, a link to the article in the show notes for the listeners. We will jump into some user numbers in a minute, but suffice to say that Snapchat isn't in the same league as some of those other platforms that you mentioned, like Facebook, but also platforms like YouTube. So it is safe to assume that not everybody is as well-versed with Snapchat as others. So can you provide us just with a bit of a rundown of Snapchat in terms of what it does, let's just set the scene for those that don't know, and why it is different to other social platforms? Sure, and that's a great question. Snapchat is, the the way people talk about Snapchat is exactly the same way people talked about social in general about 10 years ago. They knew it was a thing. They knew that young people were using it. They knew it mattered, but they weren't quite sure what to do. Over time, people have really you know, adopted things like Facebook, and you'll find a number of you know, the key demographics on a place like Snapchat being you know, primarily your 18 to 25. Those people aren't on Facebook because that's where their parents and grandparents are now. The people that used to not understand what this thing was or what to do with it, those are the people who are really dominating other social platforms today. The main thing behind what Snapchat brought to this game was the concept of ephemeral content. And as you may know, um, Snapchat is a platform in which your content doesn't last. If it's just between one or two users as a messaging platform, which is really how it started, the actual chat part of Snapchat, your messages disappeared when they were read. So it didn't stick around like text in your phone and things like that. And you could send images back and forth, but you could only view that image for up to 10 seconds and it would disappear. As the, as the platform evolved and it grew, they then added different elements to make it a little more social networky. But it's really not a social network in the same way. It's more of a private network where you can really select the types of people or the exact people you want to send it to. And you can keep things really private. There's no viral aspect like you see on Facebook where you can see, you know, so-and-so liked a photo or so-and-so shared a photo. But this doesn't simply exist on Snapchat. So that private ephemeral kind of content was the real impact that was there. The challenge was, you know, it it became very widely used amongst a a key youth demographic. The challenge for marketers was, what do we do with this? Like ephemeral content, that sounds like the worst thing ever. (laughs) Like you, you want me to build sponsorship around something that will disappear in 10 seconds. Snapchat's evolved the platform to the point where they do have a self-serve ad platform. Now there's something called Snapchat stories where you can post images, videos that do last up to 24 hours But the other side of it is, um, you know, people are adapting to the situation in which 24 hours is kind of a long time, you know, and and daily active users is a really important thing. And if you're looking at it daily, then 24 hours will do. You don't need to be up for, 
long periods of time. You know, a sustained campaign doesn't need to be stale over time. It can be different content at different times. So, so that's really what kind of sets it apart. I mean, you've seen Instagram, you know, i.e. Facebook make those moves to quote unquote copy. I don't really like the term copy. It's a little schoolyard. And what that really represents is that, you know, Instagram has to kind of, you know, self-evolve and, and, you know, ephemeral content is really on trend. It's how people want to share. It doesn't always have to be the most well-crafted or most beautiful photo. Sometimes it can be quick, immediate, and fun. And that's what Snapchat does better than anybody else. You touched on uh, daily active users. What are Snapchat's daily active users? And is the user base growing or is it sort of um, stagnated? And I'm, I'm particularly interested in whether there's any certain areas in the world that are more heavy users or, or have more daily active users. Right. So at the moment, um, and this is the problem that Wall Street seems to have with Snapchat, is it's not really growing in terms of its daily active users. I think it's floating around the 178 million worldwide mark right now, which, you know, that's a lot of people. <laughs> when, you're, when you're comparing, you know, things to Facebook, that's a 900-pound gorilla. And that's not really a fair, it's not really a fair fight in any way, shape, or form. 178 million daily active users is a lot of people. And it's in the real key, you know, age demo, again, for young people, that's where they're spending a lot of their time. So while the, you you know you'll you'll go through headlines and things like that, and you'll see you know oh stock is down and like oh is Snapchat going to die and you know is Twitter dead and all this kind of stuff. Well, it depends, right? No, but people don't really remember that that Facebook tanked until its ad until its ad platform matured and people were able to go in there and use it. I can remember in the early days. Um, of doing uh, um, partner content with um, some of the hockey teams I worked with. And uh, you had to get permission even like from Facebook itself, like you happened to know somebody who was on the inside there to even run a contest. So there was really a lot of, you know, turbulent early days for Facebook. It, it wasn't clocking money the way that it is now, you know, back in 2010, for example. So, so, so I think those are really, you know, important things to consider. When you look at it compared to others, it's not really a fair fight. And there's nothing to sneeze at with 170-plus million, you know, a daily active users. You look at another comparable platform like Twitter that's, you know, also kind of coming into the same sort of issues where, um, you know, its stock is not doing well. There's acquisition and sales rumors and things like that, and people just aren't really using it the same way that they were. It doesn't really matter from that perspective. And the job of a marketer isn't really to predict I don't think, you know, what will happen in social. You have to be where your audience is. And if there are eyeballs there and there's value for Snapchat as an ad buy or as a place to be, then it should be part of, of where you're going. So it's really, you know, part of a digital mix that I think is still really critical and maybe on trend to kind of bash Snapchat. But um, those those are really strong numbers. Like I wish I had a business that was struggling that, <laughs> that poorly. Yeah, I think, I think it's a, a, a very... A good comment and insightful comment to talk about the volume but not try and compare it to Facebook and, and Twitter because that was going to probably be my next question is how does it fit in against other platforms but to be honest if your target audience is is hanging out there it's not really a or proposition it's most likely just going to be an and proposition eh? we can do Facebook and Twitter and yeah. Snapchat but uh, are certain demographics 
heavy. We, we kind of, you alluded to it a little bit earlier around younger people hanging out there and not so much on Facebook anymore. But are there certain demographics, heavier users of Snapchat? Because the reason I ask is because I'm curious if certain types of brands are better placed than others to consider Snapchat because sponsorship professionals are obviously dealing with brands day in, day out. Should they be raising this with certain types of brands based on certain types of uh, active users on Snapchat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's again really strong with a younger demographic. Those are the people that are more interested in using it. Those are the people that have been building up their, their networks with their friends on there for some time now. And so when you see content hitting the platform now, um, in, it, it's just in a lot of a different presentation than you would see it on you know, any other, again, I hesitate to call it a social network, but I, I will for the purpose of our discussion, any other social network. And it's presented in a, a much different way. It's full screen portrait. You, you kind of very quickly move through at your own pace. So it's, it's a very different presentation that lines up really well with a younger audience. So it's probably still you know, pound for pound one of the best, best places to be in that regard. Um, uh, compared to other other platforms, so so I think that you know comparing it, you're, you're right. You know, it's it's not like a, the best place to be. Is it an important place? I, I think absolutely it is for sure. How or when did you know that Snapchat wasn't just another passing social media platform fad, and that it was actually going to be something of significance in the market? Um. That's a really good question. I think that really comes up when, um, and a friend of mine, um, you know, brought this up. You know, something's really important when somebody actually tells you about it. It's not when you see like an article in Mashable or something like that. Like this is the next big, you know, social thing and blah blah blah. But when it crosses over to when one of your friends pulls out their phone and says, "Hey, are you on this?" You know that's when those things really start to kind of, you know, hit my radar as this is now a mainstream situation, right? By the time it gets into um, popular culture, so to speak, that means it's already really well saturated. It's always, you know, the younger people who are adopting these new digital platforms. And by the time that kind of makes its way up to the top, kind of bubbles to the surface and makes for jokes on late night TV or things like that, you know it's a thing, right? Like it, it's saturated now at those levels, and 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 that makes it pretty solid. It's funny you say about you know, making jokes on late night TV. I still remember getting uh, a bit nerdy here, but semi excited when I first saw a TV show with tweets coming across the bottom. I was like, oh wow, this is this, this stuff's starting to merge. I still remember that probably about seven or eight years ago. So, uh, cousin, I'm going to ask about some specific Snapchat use in sponsorship examples later on. But for sure. now, removing the sponsorship focus, who uses the platform well, just generally in their marketing on um, on the brand side or even just on the rights holder side if it's not actually focused on sponsorship, just general you know, audience and, and member and fan engagement? Sure. Well, there's a couple, you know, quite famous examples, I think, that might cover off both of those, um, both of those uh, situations being one being a sponsorship um, and one being, you know, more brand marketing. Um, I think it was last, last year's Super Bowl, I believe. I'm, I'm 46 now, so maybe they're all blurring together, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it was last year when Gatorade had, uh, what what Snapchat calls a a lens, 
and a lens is where you, you know, you, you aim your phone at your face and it will morph your face into a different looking, you know, character or situation or a funny kind of crazy, you know, scene. And then you can share that as a story or share that with your friends. Gatorade did one on the soup, the day of the Super Bowl in which it was like you had won the Super Bowl as a coach and they, and they would dunk, you know, dunk you in Gatorade in the Snapchat lens. And it was used, you know, hundreds of millions of times. And they had some key people like Serena Williams use it. Um, so they had some influencer strategy behind it. And it went as viral as viral can get. And, and it, there was more people using that, you know, lens on Super Bowl day than there was actually tuning in to the broadcast. Wow. That's, that's a, that's a big deal, right? <laughs> and that's a, that's a great example of a sponsorship activation in which it's not like, Hey, you know, Gatorade's like two for one down at your local quickie mart, right? That's not what that is. That's people interacting with the brand because they want to, because it's fun, because it's cool. And that's really hard to get to, you know, like it's, it, you can't just say on Facebook, for example, Gatorade's cool and so are you. So interact with this post and then we're all cool together. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really work that way. But when you have the platform is really geared towards the medium is the message. It's all about, you know, the, the way that Snapchat works and the brand is represented in a very, you know, impactful way, but it's kind of secondary because the Gatorade dunk is already a thing. It was brilliant and it worked extremely well. I'm sure it was also extremely expensive. On the other side, um, and not so sports-like and not so sponsorship, Taco Bell has done a, they were a very early adopter of, uh, of Snapchat and they used a very similar thing with like a, a morphing face feature that would turn your face into a giant taco. And like, it was, you know, it was, it was rad. <laughs> like It looked, it looked crazy and it was weird, but it was really fun. And, and that's a, that's a way that brands can interact with their audiences that was never really possible before. You hear about the feature being VR and stuff like that. I really don't see us sitting around with our headsets on watching the Super Bowl. Like that just doesn't seem, that's like a nineties vision of the future. I don't think that's really coming down our way anytime soon, but AR, we already have it. We already live in an augmented reality world. Like we've already gone through Pokemon go, you know, and, and this is just another way of, of digital kind of seeping into daily life in an augmented reality standpoint. We just call it Snapchat and it's just cool. <laughs> I love that example of, of the Gatorade dunk because it's such a, an embedded part of what is such a, happy well for half of the fans in the team uh, com competing teams and, and organizations it's such a, a happy such an iconic moment sure. but but especially because an actual brand is so embedded in it right it's not the water dunk it's not the pepsi dunk it's it's the gatorade dunk it's yeah. it's an iconic thing that happens and bringing that to life and bringing people into it where it's a, at that point where it's 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 big celebration it's the climax of the season is i think that's really fantastic because and and also unlucky for a lot of other brands because their brands aren't embedded in the culture of the sport like the the gatorade dunk is what Carson, why, yes. do, why do you think Snapchat has an important role to play in sponsorship? Well, I think another side of it is beyond the fact that those those types of activations are extremely creative and extremely engaging, um, and they're very different. Like there, there is no comparable, really. You know, we could talk about Instagram stories, but that's that's not really where I'm coming from here. I think that the reason that that makes a ton of sense is because it's really untapped. And it, just like I started, you know, during our discussion, 
um, the way people talk about Snapchat. It's like, well, I can see this is really important, but I don't know what the heck to do with it. And I think that there's still a lot of room for for teams, for sponsors, for partners to be able to to uncover really what that means. So I think there's a lot of potential there for people to be able to do it for for the most part. And there's there are sophisticated you know multi-user approaches um, that happens like with um, Major League Baseball advanced media and how they interact with NHL clients and things like that. That's very hands-on. But for the most part, it's really it's all going down on your phone. It's not really about producing slick video and things like that. It's, it's kind of immediate. And so that's great because you can do a ton, but it's also, you know, there's a risk factor there. It feels like, cause it's just like someone and their phone and <laughs> you're now responsible for like high level brand communication. What does that look like? And you know, the very nature of the platform is kind of immediate, humorous, downright weird in some ways and off the cuff. Um, that gives you a lot of license. And so I think there's enough risk out there that it, it keeps people apprehensive. Um, but I think there's also, you know, on the other side, that's where opportunity lies. And I think for innovative individuals, that's, that's, a, that's a gift, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's an interesting point because I hadn't considered it where you say, you know, there is that risk. It's just that person with a phone. And we quite often talk on this show and in the other content that we produce about how sponsorship professionals are – really under-resourced, they're expected to do a lot, they're expected to achieve a lot, they're very busy, there's a lot of pressure, sometimes there's not many people in the team, it can just be one or two people looking after that element, Snapchat can potentially just be another thing and there is that governance that potentially needs to be considered that it isn't just potentially, again, a junior person with a phone going, oh, this will look cool because once it's out there, you can't. it's pretty hard to, to drag it back. So I think that's an in- insightful comment. Back in, mm. back in 2009, 2010, during my research, I, I noted that the job of assessing and pricing digital sponsorship activations was a big part of your work. I'm curious... Mm-hmm. to know seven or eight years on has how people value digital activations actually changed that much or do they still struggle with it i think that it still struggles to a certain degree um i can't speak to a number of different leagues or different industries the work that i did was was mostly rooted in uh, the national hockey league i've done some work with nfl canada uh as well in terms of their social and and then how some of those things have been priced out um, back in those days, it was really people were throwing darts and, and they were throwing darts with low dollar values. And so that was kind of shocking to me. And it was kind of like I'd be seeing, you know, things come across the inbox that had like attachments of five hundred dollars. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> this is a five thousand dollar situation. And and it was just they weren't really understanding the value of how to do it. So so in the early days, it was it was a little more like the Wild West. And it was kind of you know, let's just figure it out and let, let's kind of let's kind of see what this looks like. Uh, nowadays, there's a lot more guidance from leagues. And even though I haven't really been consulting at the team level in the NHL for a few years now, I know that in a league like that, there are guidelines that are provided. And there are there is more of a structure and situation to it because things things evolved so quickly. And, and the revenue that was at many different levels from platform to team to, you know, sponsor – all that, you know, very quickly was recognized. You know, I was just kind of at the, the forefront of that. Um, and then everybody kind of caught up. So, so there is a lot more, you know, regimented, um, I don't want to say, well, maybe regimented, it's not the right word, a little more structure than there was in those days. 
But for the most part, and, and other things that maybe aren't like, you know, big four North American sports, there's probably a ton of opportunity out there that um, I'm just not, I'm just not, you know, in touch with at that level with some of those people to see what those things look like. I've done some work at, you know, kind of minor league levels you know, with, uh, with teams here on this side and same sort of thing. It was kind of more like, well, let's maybe have, you know, one less zero <laughs> at the major league level. <laughs> a lot of brands have shifted their sponsorship focus from just simply getting naming rights and signage and hospitality. Some of those things are still included, but they've developed and they're sure. now taking to digital because they are using it uh, in their wider marketing. We see a lot of rights holders who have struggled to not just price the digital aspects of their inventory but actually integrate it properly into their sponsorship offerings rather than just something that you add on the side why do you think that Mm -hmm. is because effectively sponsorship professionals should just in theory be giving brands what they want as part of their wider marketing um, well, I, I think, yeah, I, I think the first and easiest thing to do is to listen to your customer to, to a large degree and to be able to provide those sorts of things. Um, I, I think those things still, they still matter, right? That like naming rights and things like that. Um, but I think those things matter less to fans. And so there's kind of a discussion surrounding, um, you know, how, how sponsorship sales teams uh, interact with their their, their customers and their clients, you know, to negotiate these sorts of things and assign values to those assets. And I think that really matters. But from the fan, I think this is common to all industries too. We, we forget sometimes that we're marketers and we have a hard time seeing it again through the fan's eyes. But you're looking at a couple generations of buildings now where there's been a couple different names, you know, and that that's kind of a hard thing to deal with. And so the dollar values of something like that might be, you know, very clear and, and those things are, are stated, but um, that doesn't mean that some of those things will, will necessarily stick. How that translates digitally remains to be seen and how you might, you know, go about enacting that. And those could be very simple things from location tags and posts and stuff like that. But from the other side, the fan perspective, I think there's a challenge. There's a challenge in, in what that really means and i think there's also a disconnect too with the the fans understand that that's the business of the sport and they understand that's kind of what has to happen but there's also uh there's not a lot of i don't want to say the word passion because it's so overused there's not a lot of emotional investment tied to some of those things so i think it's it's less important from the fans perspective they they understand that's the cost of doing business today that um naming rights for example are or just the way it rolls, but it's not. Uh, it doesn't go deeper than that for them, and I don't think, I don't think it goes much much farther than that. Let's come down to some some laser focus, a little bit of nitty gritty about how to use Snapchat well. What's the difference between sure. lenses and filters? Right, a filter is is much the same as um, uh, what you'd be using. What most people would think of on Instagram, it's a thing that you lay over your your photograph uh, or your video that just kind of you know changes the look and feel of it and snapchat's way it's um, more of a graphic overlay so there could be text or images that takes your picture and kind of jazzes it up and provides you know different kind of content as well as context around it it could be you know where you are um it could be other kind of fun things like that so it just kind of you know changes your photo that you're already taking. 
with a lens, it's a step further, and that's more of an augmented reality situation where it's literally like in the example of the Taco Bell taco face. Your head looks like a big taco, like like a real taco. Like and you can talk and you can sing and you can blink and it looks a bit like you, but but you're really a taco. So a lens is kind of that kind of you know deeper push into digital where you you can be you know really transformed. And there's there's lots of content up there now when you can be a meerkat or you know. Uh, the dancing hot dog or things like that, things that went recently, you know, kind of viral on Snapchat. Um, those things are a, a different level where you're seeing digital really integrated into the real world setting, like your face. <laughs> <laughs> how, how does a rights holder or a sponsoring brand go about organizing a branded lens like you just spoke about then? Is there a cost involved apart from the development? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And those things have changed over the, the last you know year or so. For uh, some time, it used to be only a, um, it was kind of like a secret club at Snapchat. <laughs> there was um, a few agencies, I think there was only like seven, that you could actually do business with Snapchat to, to buy those sorts of things. Um, the way that it was costed out was, because it was exclusive, that also made it you know more expensive. Um, so the other side of it was certain destinations or certain days would, would cost you more. For example, you know, Super Bowl. To use that example again, that's going to be a more expensive day than a day like today when there's nothing really, you know, major happening in that situation. So, so it used to be pretty closed. Like you could, you could, you know, request contact from Snapchat and your email will go off into a black hole, never to be seen again. <laughs> but nowadays they, they have a self-service ad platform. So depending on the scope, you know, if you're looking at national, international, what that looks like, the creative de- development behind it, those things can be. Um, they can be quite expensive, you know, relatively speaking. What are some of the best practices or advice you can share about using lenses and filters in a sponsorship context? You know, use it. Uh, this is the one thing that kind of astounds me that I see from people um, across marketing. It's like, oh, snap, I don't get it, right? Well, have you tried it? Have you downloaded it? You know, like you don't get to say, I don't get it. So um, it doesn't matter. 178 million people use it every day. That matters. So download it, get it. It doesn't matter if you don't like it, but understand it. So play with it. You know, take weird little videos of your dog right? <laughs> or your, your own self or just stuff and get to know what it's like. Like anything in sales, this is like sales training 101. Like you better know what you're selling. So if you have these, you know, grand ideas of a digital mix and, and you're going to have Snapchat activations and filters and things like this that are, you know, geolocations and all that, you better know what you got and you better know how it works. So it's free app. Last time I checked, download it, play around with it. It's not going on your Facebook unless you put it there. So you don't even have to have any friends connected to go and, and, and get to use it. So I think people should use it and, and kind of understand what it's like Um at you know a human level, I think that's the first and most important step. Yeah, it's good. It's good advice. There's a nice, safe sort of area slash sandbox where you can go and play and sort of develop your skills and understanding before you take it out into potentially yeah. the wider world. Know what, know what you've got, right? I think it's. I think it's really critical. You don't have to love it. Like you know, I've sent like twenty one thousand tweets in my life, but I don't tweet very much at all anymore. I've probably sent five or six in the past six months. But um, you got to know what it is. And even though I don't tweet anymore, there's, there's a lot of tweets happening today. 
So for me to write that off would be kind of ridiculous. 100% agree. Now, you've given some great examples around Gatorade, Super Bowl, Taco Heads, and Taco Bell. Those those executions, parties would be measuring their success, like all good sponsorship and marketing professionals. What does Snapchat provide in terms of engagement and geographic or even demographic metrics that might justify that it is actually a standalone asset or benefit or inventory that a rights holder can actually offer a sponsor? Right. Previously, you were able to, you know, in the past year, two years, you were able to build um, you know, filters, geolocation filters that you could, you know, draw a fence around on a Google map, essentially. And um, you'd be able to place that somewhere and you would get some really basic metrics that went along with that in terms of usage and impressions and things like that. So that was obviously usage is pretty clear how many people actually used your filter and then how many people saw their use of it. So quite, quite basic, surfacey kind of stuff. But um, again, you know, just like the rise of social a decade ago, that kind of surfacey stuff was was very fine both internally and with partners at that level. Since uh, I guess the summer ish of this year, at least um, you know halfway through this year, uh, the self serve ad platform has opened up, and and much much like what happens on the Facebook side when you're you know buying and and creating ads there, there is a lot oh, there's a lot more numbers there that would really assist in those processes of of, you know, helping, you know, provide value and, and show show usage and show interaction and things like that to help people out. The article that I read and which piqued my interest and, and uh, sparked me getting in contact to invite you on the show was, here's how Snapchat can be part of your sponsorship inventory. The flip side is, why would a rights holder go the other way and shy away from using Snapchat? Mm-hmm. Well, like I mentioned before, um, depending on the type of execution, the way that you're looking to use it, um, where it could be as simple as an individual with a phone who's responsible for capturing something, there, there's inherently a bit more risk with something like that. It's not as planned. It's not like we're going to you know, go film a video, edit it, and then we're going to post that to Facebook or, or Instagram when we're ready to. Uh, but that's the, that's the point of what makes Snapchat different, fun, and, and great. So some of those, you know, risk reasons would be, I think some people still struggle with the idea of ephemeral content, the idea that that won't be there after 24 hours. Um, but, you know, in the thumbscroll reality of social today, how, how often do you go back? Like, how often do you visit someone's entire Instagram profile? You just kind of roll through, right? Or, or Facebook, how often do you visit the page of your sponsor or the team? You, they consume you via the post and newsfeed, regardless of whatever platform it is. So I think that there's some there's some barriers. It's still kind of new, you know. It's still kind of the rogue out there. I think a lot of the news out there regarding stock performance might might also, you know, because the stock didn't perform, you know, really hot. Um, that's going to keep people away. But again, you know, what sort of daily active user growth we're we looking at here, like. You know, 178 million people is quite a few, and and if it's not growing to 500, you know, million by now, that's okay. You know, like people still buy radio ads, right? <laughs> radio radio usage isn't, you know, exploding right now. It's just kind of part of the media mix, and radio is a very valid place to advertise and to market for sports and for lots of other things. It's just you know maybe a little less sexy these days, but there's still a ton of value there. 
Mm. And, and people still consume sports and listen to live broadcasts through the radio, whether it's digital or not. Absolutely. I listened to like a Monday Night Football game on the radio just, just this week. It's Is it dangerous for rights holders? Let's say they say they they think, yep, we're in with Snapchat. We've had that safe play. We think we can execute it. We've got some governance so that we're not, you know, creating content that, you know, is is risky. Is it dangerous for a rights holder to be pitching Snapchat to a brand if that brand doesn't actually use Snapchat already as part of their mark uh, their wider marketing? Not necessarily, no. Um I think it's still it's still important in in any you know dissemination. It's still important to get in front of younger audiences, and and like I said, it it's not really a social network in that way. So like if you were talking about Facebook, I'd say yeah, you should probably have a Facebook page too if you're going to be active there because you're going to want to have to you know you're going to want to drive people back you know, to to your own stuff basically. But in a situation like this. Um, there's not a lot of reasons and there's not a lot of ways that they can interact with your content on Snapchat and then go quote unquote back to you, but they could find you there and they could follow you there. And, and that's, and that's okay. And that's fine. But it's also simply a place where their attention is. And in some cases you might want to have more gravity for lack of a better term to that attention. And in a place like Snapchat, which is a little more, you know, kind of levity and, and a little more fun, Getting their attention and and you know getting them involved, I think that's really more important than than being on the platform too in that way. And we'll see how things evolve. And things always change the way that we use. I remember before you could even edit a Facebook post, <laughs> you know, and like <laughs> you had to delete that kind of stuff. So you know, just because you're not there doesn't mean you shouldn't do it and dip a toe in the water. It's I call it the hot tub approach. Nobody can evolve into a hot tub. Maybe some people, I don't know, but generally, right? It's like a toe, ankle, knee, waist, then you kind of even up to your neck, right? So start, you know, see what you can do there. Understand the measurement, understand the feedback, and dabble in it and, you know, kind of grow with it. When, when we started doing all this with Facebook and Twitter, um, it wasn't like, you know, it was all hands on deck and this was going to be everything. We tried it and we were right. You know, it, it's where the audience was. It's where the eyeballs were. It's where, you know, the internet was going. Facebook is the internet to many, many people today. So try it. Love the 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 hot tub analogy. Let's run. Let's continue. <laughs> yeah, let, let's continue to run with that because I I, meant, I mentioned earlier, and it's a fairly common theme in our content that we produce around how sponsorship professionals are some of the most talented people in an organization not least because they're expected to get so much done yet they're quite often under-resourced and sometimes they don't have as much experience as other people with the hot tub analogy when the next digital platform comes along and clearly it is or will become an important platform for sponsorship should rights holders be trying to dabble in it early on stick that toe in the hot tub early on and and lead and maybe get that first mover or or early mover advantage or should they wait until a few other people are in the hot tub before they stick their toe in um yes to both i I don't think there's a right just get in the hot tub uh (laughs) just get in the get in the hot tub um everybody in The, the way i the way i look at that honestly is um 
it's the role of the marketers and like I, I get resources and things like that. And and this is kind of a hybrid world now where you're in sponsorship sales, but now you gotta know Snapchat too, and you gotta like be able to, you know, post on behalf of the brand. There's a lot of it's it's not as cut and dry role wise between marketing and sales and execution as it used to be. So so that's part of it. But I, I think the answer to your question lies in the role of the marketer, the role of the salesperson and the role of of the per of the individual where it's if something new comes along and you hear about it, download it, try it, dabble in it, see what happens. Keep your finger on the pulse. Like it's important to be when something's going to break and is a big deal. That's awesome to be in early on it. And, and that's not going to happen all the time. And you might, you know, dabble here and there and you do 10 things, but only one or two of them pop. That's not bad. Right. No one's going to remember about your like, Peach strategy when Peach was like the next big social network, you know, 15 minutes ago, or when Ello came as the anti Facebook two or three years ago, or whenever that was. People have short memories; they forget. Like, in fact, today was like my my tenth anniversary day on Twitter. So Twitter sent me a message going, "Hey, you've been with us ten years. Like, that's a big deal." Back then, ten years ago, there was no mobile app, right? I had a BlackBerry, and you had to if you wanted to tweet mobily. You had to do it via SMS. You connected your phone to the platform and you would basically text the number and that would post to your, your Twitter account, right? So, so things, things happen, you know? I can remember having a discussion with people um, about, about Twitter um, with, with NHL teams and it was like, you know what? If the numbers get to 5,000, then it'll kind of matter for us. It, well, it, it did okay, right? They have over a million followers now. But in the early days, it was, it was kind of a risk. So take a couple risks, but you know, don't, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, and if you can find some ways to be innovative and if you can explore and you can find stuff out as an individual, then, then you're in a really good position to be able to put that stuff forward into business proposals or pitches and then understand how to drive business value from there. Right. Sure. That's right. Right, exactly. And, and, you know, sometimes you're going to be right and sometimes it won't matter. You look at a, an app like Vine, you know, like Vine brought video to Twitter and that was a big deal. And then Vine went away because video became the standard form of content on, on social. Like you still post photos and you can just post words if you want, but nobody does that anymore. Like video, we don't even think about video as being video. It's just, oh, there's so-and-so on Instagram now. And, you know, you, do, you don't think that it's a video uh, from a content perspective. So if you went all in on vine and you were like so busy, like investing everything in your vine network, well, it went away. Like this is all rented land, Yes, right? you know? So you, you don't build your mansion there. <laughs> Keep driving everybody back to the assets that you own, but recognize that this is where the attention lies. 
And, and that's really the, the goal. And the attention is a constantly moving focus. Nothing stays super hot for super long. It's, it's always kind of a, a moving thing. You know, Instagram is like everything right now. I would say it's probably the most important place where everybody is. Talk to me next year. Uh, I don't even know. Right. We could still be talking about Instagram, but maybe it's somewhere or something else. So this might, the next question might be a bit tough. What does the future hold for Snapchat? Will it be much the same or do you actually see it really evolving or even integrating with other platforms maybe? Well, there, there's two things on, on that. One is I'm not big on predictions. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather be more interested in, in what the marketplace is doing. I don't want to have to predict what the company will do. I want to know what people are doing and where their eyeballs are. So that's one. The other side of that is um, a company like Snapchat that is publicly traded now. They have to evolve. There is shareholder value. There are other factors now beyond just you know, like an innovative startup that wanted to kind of you know, shake the foundations of what it meant to share content and talk to their friends. Um, it's a different thing, but they do have to kind of evolve. They, they do have a responsibility to turn a profit. So it's going to shift and change. What that becomes, who knows? It, it may make Snapchat stronger. Um, it may grow in its importance. You look at how Facebook has changed over the last 10 years alone. You know, it used to just be, you know, your photo updates, your vacations, things like that. Now we have specific, you know, program content on Facebook. It's evolved dramatically over the last 10 years. So who's to say, but um, I, I'd probably be more worried to focus on what's happening on a daily basis than, than look at, will this matter in a year? Because things change so quickly in this industry that, uh, um, you know, that, that's probably not the best use of your time. It's just kind of keep seeing what's happening, you know, keep your boots on the ground, so to speak, keep trying new things like that and, and see where it goes. Great advice. Great overall chat Carson if people want to get in touch with you connect on social what can they do sure you can find me on Instagram and Snapchat um, at firstname.lastname c-a-r-s-o-n dot m-c-k-e-e and you'll be able to, to hit me up there anytime Carson McKee consultant and speaker at Direct Contact Marketing thank you so much for taking us inside Snapchat and sponsorship It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you. Cracking chat with Carson. Some great examples, some awesome insights, and plenty of food for thought for sponsorship managers, I think, on both sides of the fence. As Carson mentioned, you can connect with him on those social channels, and, of course, all the links are in the show notes at sponsor.net. If you'd love a shout-out, just like Steve, Nick, and Tim, then make sure you get in touch, and I'll make it happen for you. I know I say it in most episodes, but we really do love getting little messages from you guys, even if it is just to say, hi, I listen to the show. That's about all we have time for in episode 48. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email using daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at sponserve. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Sponserve. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs and resources, head to sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn.